Okay, our New Testament reading this morning um, is John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And the Old Testament reading is Ruth 1, 15 through 22. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pam. And this is well, we are just started a new series on the book of Ruth, and we're calling it Ruth, the Gospel from Famine to Harvest. And last week, we talked about how the famine exists. It's there. It's real. And how God is still there in the famine of our lives. And we learned this through the trials of one of the central characters of the book of Ruth, named, a woman named Naomi, who lost her family is heading back home and thinks that she needs to be alone in a situation where she would have absolutely nothing. No family, no job, no place to lay her head. She was widowed, childless, and alone. But then Ruth clung to her, and that's where we left off last week. And we learned how Ruth displays this character and quality of Christ, about how Christ is with us in the family. And we saved her speech to Naomi for this week because we need a whole week to kind of talk about it. And in this, we will see more ways in which God himself works in the famines of not just Naomi's life, not just Ruth's life, but our lives as well. Uh, but first, could I pray for us as we begin today? Father, you are the God who is above our famine, the God who is there with us, and near to us. Lord, we pray for your church to see Christ in these verses. Our great redeemer, our great friend, the one who is here now. Let Ruth's confession be the confession of our hearts today. In Christ's name, amen. So, uh, can you think of a time where you had a speech that came to define your life. It changed the course of your entire world. One of the most significant things that anyone has ever said to me was my dear wife, Paige. Um, now, before I get to what she said to me, 
I should let you, let you in on a little bit of our dating history. Uh, we met in December of 2018, and we began dating for several months, and, and me just being me, this hopeless romantic, right, just wanting to rush into everything, I knew pretty early on that, that this was the one. This is the one I wanted to spend the rest of my life with. Um, maybe too early, depending on who you talk to, but I, I knew pretty early on, right? And so in, in April of 2019, just about four months in, I, I just decided to go for it, all right? I said to Paige one night, I was like, Paige, I love you. And she looked at me, and she gave me a hug, good sign, and then silence, <laughs> bad sign, followed by the ambiguous sign of two words that were said to me. She said, thank you. <laughs> now, I knew at the time that she needed more time to process this and, and process what we were going through, but I, but I won't lie, right? In that moment, and, 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 all, and the months that followed, all the insecurity in the world began to creep into my mind, right? What, what's wrong with me? Did, did I say it wrong? What's going on here, right? And so a couple months later, June of 2019, uh, we were heading out on a date, and like many dates we had been in the past, and there was something a little bit different than this date than anything that we had been on before. Um, Paige said, hey, let's go for a walk, right? So we, we went on a trail walk behind uh, where she was living at the time, and suddenly we stopped by this stream, and I was looking over this, this area in the woods, and she just turns over to me, and she says this, John, I, I've been thinking about this for a while, and I didn't want to say this unless I knew I meant every word of it, and now I'm ready to say this completely and fully, I love you, and I want to be with you. And when I heard those words, uh, this time it was me who went completely silent, uh, only because I was just filled with this sense of, of joy, something that I, I had wrestled with doubt my entire life, whether or not I was lovable, someone could love me despite everything that I am, despite my profession. Uh, dating a pastor is not one of those things that's very attractive, right, right? In, in the dating world, right? Uh, all of those insecurities and those pains, uh, that someone would actually want to be with me. Uh, this, in essence, defines so much of Ruth and her most famous speech, uh, the speech that has sort of almost come to define the book of Ruth, a statement of such great love and consequence that uh, people of every generation have spoken these vows at critical moments in their lives, at weddings, at adoptions, etc. Uh, the cry of Ruth is, is a scandalous statement of love, of, of sacrifice, of faithfulness, of, of joy. So much so that we need to examine it, not just for its force and impact, but also what we don't often study is Naomi's response directly afterwards. You see, both of these moments, not just Ruth's expression of love, but Naomi's uh, interesting response, the way it impacts her, is critical to display God's harvest of love and grace in the midst of our famine. So we're going to examine three things here today. Uh, God's faithfulness, despite our faithlessness. Uh, number two, God's grace, despite our bitterness. And number three, uh, God's harvest, despite our circumstances. So let's look at this first one. God's faithfulness, despite our faithlessness. Uh, Naomi has just given strong pleas to uh, both her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to head back to Moab, their hometown. And essentially leave her for dead. Orpah, perhaps understanding the pragmatic reasons 
Uh, maybe Orpah's honoring just her mother-in-law's request, or maybe because she, came, she comes to the same logical conclusion that Naomi does about her situation. You know, Naomi's a widow, no land, no job, no prospects. Orpah leaves Naomi and is ready to move on. Ruth clings to her, and Naomi is looking to convince Ruth one last time to leave her. And in doing so, Naomi reveals where her headspace is at regarding her relationship with the Lord and what she believes would be best for Ruth. Naomi tells her to abandon the God that Naomi believes in and tells her to return to her people and to her gods. Now, now to be sure, there, there is obviously a comfort of convenience that Naomi is appealing to in her request to Ruth. It would appear to be more culturally convenient for Ruth to head back to Moab, the land where she grew up in, her, her people and her customs. It would appear to be more economically convenient. She has, in theory, way more prospects of remarrying in a time where marriage was a key component to economic prosperity. It would be easier for Ruth to worship the gods that Ruth had grown up worshiping, the god of Chemosh, the god of prosperity and the other gods that were enveloped in the Moabite tradition of worship. She would not have to surrender her current belief system if she decided to go. So Naomi, on the surface level, appears to be culturally, fiscally, and religiously sensitive. But in this, Naomi is presenting Ruth a choice that betrays Naomi's own belief about the Lord that she worships. See, uh, if one were to assume that Naomi was this totally committed, faithful believer who loves the Lord, there would be no way in which Naomi's request to Ruth would make sense here in this passage. So what are we left to conclude about Naomi's faith? Well, Naomi's faith in this moment is very much lacking. She believes that material prosperity, cultural comfort, is greater for Ruth than to be in the people of Yahweh, to be in the covenantal people of God. Naomi would rather see Ruth worship other gods than to believe that God would have anything good come out of the situation. Now, now, in Naomi's defense, who could blame Naomi for what she's experiencing? As we discussed last week, there, there is something very human about Naomi in this story. She's been devastated by the trials of life. She, yet, at the same time, we see this care and, and, and she's motivated for preserving the lives of her daughter-in-laws. She's having a crisis of faith, and yet she calls on a blessing of Yahweh on Orpah and Ruth in our earlier text from last week. So she's telling Ruth to leave uh, her and to worship other gods, and yet, where is Naomi headed? Back to her people and the God that she believes that will provide for her, even though she doesn't believe that God would provide for Ruth. Uh, this is in many ways the human experience of our own faith journeys. We ride ebbs and flows. We live inconsistently to the values that we profess. We love God well in some areas of our life, and yet we love God imperfectly in others. In Naomi, we see this well-rounded, developed character in Ruth, a complex character that cannot be reduced to simplistically simply being totally unfaithful or totally faithful. And it seems right now in this statement of Ruth that Naomi's faith is faltering to the point where she would rather Ruth be left out of the kingdom of God. 
So how does Ruth respond to Naomi's seemingly lack of faith? She responds with one of the most stirring interactions in all of Scripture. That despite all the evidence that Naomi has placed in front of her, despite all the challenges ahead, despite that reality that life for Ruth would never be the same if she chose to follow Naomi, she covenants with Naomi in the most powerful and explicit statements that one can give to another person. So Ruth commits several things here to demonstrate the faithfulness of God working in her. Uh, what are the things that we see? One, in this, this speech that Ruth gives, one, presence. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Ruth is saying that her physical presence will be, continue to be beside a broken and hurt Naomi. That Naomi, in essence, will never have to worry about being alone or abandoned. Naomi will have a friend that will be there for her despite of her uncertainty, despite of her lack of faith, despite her insecurities. How could anyone commit themselves to a situation like this? Well, it's only if Ruth were able to abandon all of her own plans and thoughts for her life and instead move by love to be present with her. Number two, adoption. Ruth says, your people will, shall be my people. She's stating that the community that Naomi is a part of, which she has real working knowledge of, a context that she's never grown up in, will be hers. Uh, when my uh, mom and dad decided to immigrate to the States, uh, my, my mom, in essence, was saying to my dad, uh, I will adopt this culture that I have never known so that um, you can follow the Lord's calling to be a minister. And so they moved to L.A., right? And they had to very quickly understand and learn what it meant to be an American. Uh, for my mom, she had to work three jobs, learn the language, study for nursing exams, all while trying to get my dad through seminary. And uh, then I was born, and that was a bit of a surprise, and they were figuring out, how are we going to make life work? Uh, but she said, I will adopt all of your struggles. Your people shall be my people. This is, in essence, what Ruth is carrying over. Uh, she will say, I'll surrender everything that I've ever known so that your family can become mine. Three, faith. Presence, adoption, and third, faith. Here is perhaps maybe one of the most overlooked commitments that Ruth is making. Your God will be my God. This is an astonishing confession in this passage that needs to be passed out. For, for even reasons that we do not have the privilege of knowing, Ruth is abandoning the gods that she has known to follow the God of Naomi. She is giving up her religion so that she may be faithful to the God that Naomi promises to worship. This is astounding to think about. You know, maybe to our modern sensibilities, it almost appears as though Ruth is treating religion like a very casual belief uh, in our day and age, right? Maybe you can hold very loosely in your hand, you can change whenever you want to, but, but in the ancient Near East, religion did not have this kind of sort of laissez-faire quality to it. The divide between secular and sacred back then would have been non-existent. Your religious beliefs were deeply embedded into your social order, into your ethics, into your daily practices. 
This is, by the way, if you've ever read through the, the books of Leviticus and Numbers, it almost goes into painstaking detail of every part of life and what it means to believe in Yahweh and how the people of Israel were meant to live. And so Ruth, knowing all of this, means that following Yahweh meant rejecting all that she knew about life, her everyday living, to covenant with Naomi's God. Ruth has been given a faith that is ready to leave everything. Ruth has found the pearl of great price and is ready to make sacrifices necessary to follow God. And that leads us to the fourth thing that she's uh, promising here. Covenant. Covenant. It's this deeply embedded word. Uh, we, we, it, it can feel like a church word that we don't often explain. Uh, this word covenant means that you are tying a life to a life together. Uh, when people do this in marriage, they, they covenant together, right? They, we give the vow till death do us part and many times we often think about it in Christianity as just a marriage covenant, but Scripture reminds us, you see, of other different kinds of covenantal relationships, like covenantal friendship and Jonathan and David, and the covenantal commitment of family, like Ruth and Naomi. Ruth is charting a course not only for her life to be tied to Naomi, but, but interesting enough, that curses will be brought upon her if she does not follow through her commitment. She brings upon imprecatory curses upon herself. And what's astonishing is that Ruth doesn't claim any of the covenant blessings in following Naomi. She, in this moment, is saying, I will be cursed if I do not bring them on this commitment. I am literally giving up my life for you. So when you add all of these things up, presence, adoption, faith, covenant, what conclusion here are we left with? Well, Ruth's eyes are either crazy, right, she's mad, um, she's conning Naomi, maybe she's got some ulterior motive, or She's committed to a level of faithfulness to demonstrate to Naomi that Naomi has somebody in her life that will be faithful to her. In spite of everything that Naomi is, in spite of everything that Naomi's lack of faith is demonstrating, in spite of, every, in spite of Naomi's attitude and all that she's going through, Ruth is saying that you have someone. Notice something also amazing here. Ruth comes to faith while witnessing the imperfect, faltering faith of Naomi and her struggles in her situation. Naomi has obviously have been vocal about her faith in Yahweh in the past. Not, Ruth is aware of Naomi's God. But even though Naomi is of no quote-unquote condition to be a light to Ruth about who God is, Ruth is nonetheless drawn to this God and longs to worship the Lord, not because of Naomi's mighty, amazing faith, but in spite of Naomi's faith. So why is this an encouragement to us? Let, let, let me uh, just go on a little bit of a tangent here and see the great encouragement that this will be to us as believers living in 2023. Uh, maybe many of you are feeling like Naomi battered and bruised and, and maybe barely clinging on to the faith or even barely clinging on to church. Uh, many of us might feel as though we are utterly useless 
for the kingdom of God or perhaps have very little to offer. Uh, you might feel as though that there's no way that anyone could come to know Christ because of who you are and the way that you live your faith. But not just in Naomi's life, but this is the testimony of Scripture, that God uses us in our imperfect condition to bring people to himself. In an untrustworthy Abraham, in a scheming Jacob, in a proud Joseph, a crooked, wicked Samson, an adulterer and murderer in David, a cowardly Peter, a persecutor in Paul. People meet the Lord and come to worship him and lay down their lives for him, not because they met people with great capacity of faith. Rather, they saw Christ in spite of their capabilities. Ruth follows the call of God, not because Naomi is a wonderful Christian, but because God is a wonderful counselor. This is why biblical commentators note that in many ways here, Ruth is the greater Abraham of the Old Testament. Whereas Abraham was called by God and almost immediately entered into doubt and trepidation, Ruth is called to leave by the imperfect faith of Naomi and yet still chooses to follow faithfully, devoting her life and her passion to fulfill the covenant promises she makes. And this leads us to see, our second point here today, that God's grace to us in our bitterness. God's grace to us in our bitterness. Now, after hearing such a soul-stirring speech, right, as the one that Ruth gave, you would think that Naomi's heart would be filled with warmth, with happiness, with joy, that she could just see the bright side of the situation. But what does the text tell us? Naomi just stays silent and just simply begins walking back to Jerusalem. Now, just in case we want to try and interpret the positivity of Naomi's heart being changed by Ruth's declaration, the next several verses give us a window into Naomi's state of mind. She returns to Bethlehem greeted with wonder by those who remember Naomi from all those years ago, and her response to these welcoming people is that Naomi is not her name anymore. It is Mara, for the Almighty has dealt bitterly with me. Names are critical to our own understanding of, of who we are and, and what we think about life in general. Um, as Paige and I are getting close to deciding the name of our son, uh, we realize that there are names that if we gave our son this name, it would be an incredibly cruel name to give him because of my last name, Song. All right? We couldn't name him Pop, for example, right? Uh, or worship, or theme, or solo, key, alto, tempo. All of that would be incredibly cruel to give those names to my son. Uh, think about even how you might have been named and why you were named that way. Uh, my full name is Jonathan, uh, named after the son of Saul in 1 Samuel. My dad wanted me to be courageous, loyal, one with boldness to hold convictions. But when I started rebelling against him as a child, he realized something important about the Jonathan in 1 Samuel, that Jonathan did not listen to his dad at all. And so, likewise, there are certain names that were given to us by others that are cruel by nature. Many of us can think of names we were given as a young person that when we were bullied, maybe in your elementary school days. And it's funny how we don't remember really anything 
about that time except the names that people gave to us. And those names can be things that we carry far greater than any other memory that we have in life. What about the names we give ourselves? The book of Ruth, where names hold such a special significance, needs to be explained here. You see, Naomi means pleasant. And she changes it to Mara, which literally means bitter. Naomi's cruelty extends to her own self. She wants to redefine and shape the course of her life to live in the bitterness of the circumstances that she finds herself in. So her assessment of the situation is that once she had an abundance, she left full, she had a family, a home, a place, and yet it was God himself who brought her back empty. Why should she be Naomi? Why should she be pleasant? If the Lord who is sovereign over everything, who is supposed to be good, would bring about the storm upon her. If there is any doubt of what she thought of Ruth's heartwarming speech, it clearly shows itself here in the story that she tells herself. The Lord, she believes, has brought this calamity upon her, has made her into a human desert. There is simply no grace for her remaining. So what is... What What is happening here? Um, And here we're given a window to the grace that God gives to us in the midst of the bitterness we feel in the stories that we tell ourselves. Naomi is allowed to express how she feels about her misfortune, about how she feels about how God has treated her. Naomi is, is given this moment to express this bitterness, not because ultimately these things will be in the long term helpful for her, not because God's intentions for her to keep her there, but rather she's able to direct her frustrations to God who is able to listen to us and gives grace to those who express it. The common Christian stereotype is one of a person who keeps everything bottled inside because apparently it's been maybe falsely taught that bitterness isn't something that you can outwardly express, right? They'll, they'll point to Hebrews and say, let not the sprig of bitterness root up. Don't, don't, don't mention it. Don't talk about it. And what happens is often that Christianity is delved into a pressure cooker inside yourself that you can't really say how you really feel because that would be sinful. This goes against so much of Scripture's testimony. It finds no corollary in the prophets, in the Psalms, in Lamentations, in other portions of Scripture. You see, those who believe that somehow all emotion and all emotional expression are anathema because they are inherently evil in and of themselves will do good to remind themselves that emotions in Scripture are not necessarily all evil or not necessarily all good. It's rather who we bring our emotions to. Who do we trust to be able to carry the weight of our deepest pain, of our wildest accusations, of the bitterness we feel in our hearts? Naomi is given the grace to express these things, the space to be able to register all of her complaints, her frustration, her bitterness to others and to the Lord. 
And in this, we are reminded that Naomi is representing here another biblical character. If Ruth is the greater Abraham, Naomi is the female version of Job. For those of you who are unaware with Job's story, Job is uh, the biblical character who lost everything, like Naomi did. Family, fortune, status, friends, and, and finds himself wondering about the nature of suffering and why God would place him in that situation. And just like Job, Naomi wrestles with God. Even her own identity, her own name, what she calls herself. So rather than seeing a uniform condemnation of Naomi in these verses here, right, and, what she's, and how she's reacting, we see rather that in the silence that there's something valuable that God is granting her here. There is grace that God brings to us in the spaces of our grief that we can cry out to Him. God does not allow us to move past our grief too quickly. God does not simply rubber stamp a Christian platitude to just remember our blessings and just be grateful, to wipe it away, you know, sort of a pop Christian counseling. Take Romans 8.28 and Philippians 4.13 and call me in the morning. Rather, God wants us to come to him with all of our complexity, all of our accusations, all of our doubts and fears. This is the Psalter's cry again and again and again. And the grace of the Psalms that when we read them is that we are given permission to go to God and do the same. The brilliant uh, Carolyn Custis James writes this in her excellent commentary of why uh, the book of Ruth spends this whole chapter on Naomi's plight. Uh, in her book, The Gospel of Ruth, here's the quote if we can get on the screen. Uh, Glossing over Naomi's agony comes at a high price. For by minimizing Naomi's pain, we inadvertently minimize our own. We owe it to Naomi and to ourselves to stop and contemplate the collapsing towers in Naomi's life, to sit with her for a while at ground zero. For without a better grasp of her sufferings, we will miss the impacts of her doubts about God and the power of the gospel of grief. So to everyone here today, know that the God of the Bible is one that allows you the space to present yourself to God on your worst days and your worst moments. That God has given you the space to cry out to Him with all of your frustration and pain. God isn't a God who is denying you those expressions. Rather, in the famine, and especially in the famine, He is giving you the grace to surrender those things up to Him. It's the only way where the church can live out in the reality of its current moment in history. That every age of the church has been able to powerfully express and emote its most darkest things and bring them to light. From the horrors of martyrdom in the early church to modern-day heroes like those suffering persecution in China, in house churches across the world, we cry out to the Lord in the difficulty of the moment because this is the grace that God is giving to us. And in pausing and reflecting on lamenting well, and this is the beautiful part about this. The glory of the cross will reveal itself to be much greater to us. You see, the redemption bought by Christ in His suffering will be that much sweeter. Because we dared to go to the depths of woe, we will realize even deeper that is the power of Christ and Him alone that can save us from it. 
And that is how we see our last point here today. God's harvest in our circumstances. Notice here in the contrast between Ruth's powerful speech to Naomi and Naomi's reaction that there is this third person here in the story that we need to acknowledge. The sovereign Lord who is overarching in all these things that God is in control despite of all the things that are right before us. Naomi, though the story she is telling herself is one of betrayal and God leaving her, Naomi is still being led by God back to Bethlehem, the house of bread, during the time of harvest. Naomi will not know at this point the reality of what will unfold in the next several chapters, the joy that awaits her. But God is using her return as the catalyst of a new harvest in Naomi and Ruth's life that would not just be a blessing to them, but be a blessing to the entire world. Even though Ruth cannot acknowledge the covenantal commitment that Ruth has made to her, Naomi says, I have returned back with nothing, and Ruth is right next to her. Imagine if you're Ruth in this scenario. You're like, what am I, chopped liver? What's going on here, right? I'm literally standing right here. Even though Naomi's assessment of the situation is not accurate, the covenantal commitment that Ruth has made will demonstrate itself to her that God will not only live up to Ruth's promises, but bless both of them in a way they can't even begin to imagine. You see, God, in the midst of our bitterness, of our faithlessness, in our circumstances, He still gives us Christ. God, in the darkest hours of our famine, does not relent in preparing us for the greater hope that extends beyond our present darkness, and our deepest struggles. God is preparing us for a heavenly kingdom. And in this, we are reminded of the pathway of Christ himself, the way that he walked, the way he lived his life, was in preparation for a harvest of the fulfillment of the covenantal promises of God, despite Christ's circumstances. Jesus reminds us, like Ruth, like he did his disciples, that behold, his presence would be with us always to the, to the to very end of the age. Jesus commits himself adoption. He adopts us as his brothers and sisters into his family. Jesus promises to be faithful to us even when we lack faith in him. Jesus covenants with us. He calls himself the way, the truth, and the life, the great I am, the one whom we can leave all other gods to follow after him. See, Jesus is the greater Ruth in greater detail in whom all the covenantal promises that Ruth made are made in fullness and greater completion in him. But Jesus also, in many ways, is the better Naomi. Jesus is able to express the agony on the cross, lamenting that the Father has forsaken him demonstrating the grace that we have the ability to cry out and do the same. Jesus lived a life whose circumstances would not be seen as a harvest at all. But rather, Jesus was always in anticipation of the greater harvest to come. In spite of all of the difficulties and sufferings that he went through, Jesus entered into a land that was not his home. And when we returned, in fact, to his hometown, he lived in greater poverty and suffering that led him to being crushed. 
So Jesus' suffering, in other words, is not just simply for us to relate to, but for us to realize the depth of his sacrificial love for us, that his sufferings must be necessary for our sins to be placed upon him. Why do we reflect on the famine of Christ in his life? Because then the harvest, when it comes for the believer, will be that much greater and sweeter to us when we see it and realize it. We will taste and see that the Lord is good. We will see his commands as a burden, not as a burden, but as a delight. We will begin to love others who are suffering deeply, those who are in deep bitterness because we have reflected on our own griefs. We will press on towards the land of harvest, our heavenly home, in spite of our current state, even our failing hearts and minds, even our lack of faith. Why? Because we look forward to the fact that Christ is preparing a better home for us, just as he did Naomi and Ruth. And as we'll see as we continue on in this series, the famine from this point on will be beaten back time and time again. And we will witness the joy that will await Naomi and Ruth. And for that, we'll look into next week on what that looks like. But for us right now, let us see a God who is faithful, a God who is giving us grace, and a God who is committed to us, covenants with us, a God who will, despite our circumstances, bring us the harvest. Let's pray.